Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Top Bins with Twins. This is Paul and Luke checking in with you, and happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays, guys. Um, it is an exciting time of the year for everyone. There's snow in the air if you're in a well, cold region of the world. depending on where you live. Depending on which hemisphere. Yeah. Um, but not here in Florida. We don't get snow here. That doesn't happen. Um, so we hope that you guys are enjoying the time with loved ones, friends, family, whatever it may be, but just really try to enjoy that time. If you're working, try to take some time away from work, get out of there, some fresh air, recharge those batteries and get, get ready. Get ready for a all new year coming our way starting in January. Hashtag touch grass. Hatch, hashtag touch grass. That's, that's a good intro. Right, Luke, I like right? that. Yeah. Um, well, we've had some really impactful FPL performances as of late. Um, and I think Paul and I want to lay out our 10 takeaways from FPL going forward um, for Game Week 18 that we want to share with you all. So we're going to dive into that. Um, but first, Paul, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. It's um, it's that time of the year, you know, just busy with a lot of things. And Paul was a little silly last weekend and got a little way too hungover. So I'm just a little way down. too hungover. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that seems like an oxymoron. <laughs> a little way too hungover. Yeah, it probably is. Um, but you know, I had a great weekend, so it's fine. Yeah, fun no, that's okay. That's right. Um, excellent. I love to hear that. Thank you for sharing with the audience. That's very kind. Yeah, of how are how are you doing, Luke? I'm doing good. You know, balancing a lot of different, you know, juggling a lot of different things in the air right now. But at the same time, um, doing great. Really enjoying watching some Premier League fixtures on the weekends and getting some yeah. midweek action in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, love having so much football on on the TV at the moment. Yeah, dude. That's honestly, nice. that's to me. It's like, of course, the holiday season is awesome and everything, but. To just have constant Premier League games, it, it like adds so much to each day in and out. It really Especially, does. Especially, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky right now where I have time to watch all of that stuff. And you, you do sometimes. But to have the ability to just sit down and watch a Premier League match on like a Wednesday really makes the week so much better, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure does. And, you know, there's there's a lot of great things with the holidays. And the football is one of them as yeah, well. Yeah, we're absolute fiends for this shit, too. So yeah, no. <laughs> so um, what can we say? It is what it is. We're fiending for a foul like Draymond Green <laughs> is for a technical. Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, let's we'll, not, let's not we'll touch avoid on that Draymond on the right? pod. Um, but, you know, there's lots of interesting developments going on in FPL right now where um, a lot of things are changing. Erling Holland being out has really kind of thrown things up in the air. And then we have a suspended match that's up in there that has absolutely ripped apart the Twitter world. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, there's people on lots of different Everybody has their own take and on it. We, you know? we don't need to delve into that. I think that um, that has been well discussed already. So no need to touch on that. But, um, you know, lots of impactful performances last weekend that are going to kind of shape how people are going to be going forward with their team. So um, I think that's enough of a little preview for you guys there. And what from here, we'll take a little break and come um, right back. And real oh, quick, Paul has a point. We just, uh, just want to touch on this real quick yeah. that um, Luton Town, the player that collapsed during that match, Tom Lockyer, he is apparently in stable condition, still in the hospital. So just so everybody knows, and a up, little update on the situation for you, that um, he's stable in the hospital. Luton kind of put out a statement where they were saying that he was stable, but that to respect all the wishes. So just so we don't want to dive into that or do too much with that, but just so everybody knows that he's in stable condition and 
it's kind of in the air where it's going to go, the whole situation. Within this topic, there's a point that I want to make that's very much a subtopic and not not really going to grab the headline, headlines out of anything that happened in this, but I th- really want to applaud the camera crew and the production teams that were there um, at Kenilworth Road on that day, right? Because we've seen instances in the past where a player collapses and they proceed to film the entirety of the duration of that. Luckily, they very quickly realized what was going on and took the camera off the pitch very quickly. Um, And there was no prolonged or really kind of detailed examination of what was going on. And I want to applaud them for that. That is not something that should be shown on TV. Um, If you're there at the ground, that is more than impactful enough. And seeing people's reactions is more than enough um, for anyone to see. So applause and flowers to the people that were working there. They did a good job of managing a very stressful and intense situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult to manage, you know, especially when you're in the entertainment business and you want to keep people updated. But at the end of the day, it's not their place. It's imagine being a family member watching that match, you know, like that's just not very true. And we, we learned this with 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 Christian Erickson as well, mm -hmm. right? There was a huge backlash the production and camera so. crew. I, I believe it was ESPN that was filming the entirety of that. Yeah, I think it was the Euros um, match, right? Or it was. Euros it qualifier, was, maybe. Yeah, um, and that was handled very poorly. And ho- hopefully from then on, um, everyone has learned and is much more respectful and mindful of being in a stressful situation such as that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Luke, let's... Um, Suggestion that let's just kind of take a little break and we'll be back and we'll get to the 10 topics we want to talk about. That sounds great. Let's do it. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are gonna talk about 10 topics that kind of are mainstay ideas about the Premier League this year. And Luke, the first thing we're gonna talk about is Man City. I am terrified about what's going to happen whenever Man City gets fully healthy. Let's provide further clarification. Why do you why are you terrified? From what perspective so are you terrified? So from there's also a couple perspectives that from an FPL perspective, I'm just excited to have De Bruyne back because I think that means Holland is going to be even more he's going to turn into a psycho robot like he was last year where he just has easy chances, finishes everything. Cuz this year, I mean, you it's substantial. Like you can see that Holland has had a dip in form compared to last year. There's no question about it. He has. He's not on a record pace to break records. He's not. He's still. A, I mean, he's a nailed on FPL asset. Obviously, he's the second highest point score. Score. Sorry for lack of a better word. In in all of FPL, but it, the simple fact is, is that he also has been wasteful in moments this year. He's also been a little more hurt. Last year, he didn't really have the injury concerns. Paul, Erling Holland is no longer the second highest scorer in FPL. That title has gone to San for running. Ah, uh, so he's third so right now. So Salah is sit- currently sitting on 130 points. San has 115, and Holland sitting at a measly 112 with Ollie Watkins at 108. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Watkins is only four points behind Holland, which imagine last year us thinking that it's pretty crazy yeah there's um so there's we're another point we have i'm going to touch on later in the podcast it kind of goes into the mainstay players and i think the people at the top of the of fpl like how can they not be mainstays in your team you know yeah that's just simple yeah. conversation no, but for sure. to get back to city 
I think whenever we see the city team, like they've been very disjointed. They've dropped points in moments they shouldn't have, like AKA last week against Crystal Palace. They're up two 0 and they give up two goals in the second half to Palace. Like that really, to me, should not happen with a city team against Palace. It just it just shouldn't occur. Do you disagree? Agree that like? Oh, I completely agree. I think city, yeah, it shouldn't city, happen. City were playing with their food. They were not clinical in taking their chances, and they're also a little. To me, it felt a little passive, right? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it goes back into being clinical, but at the same time, I don't think they were trying to be ruthless in their attack of Crystal Palace, because in the first sixty minutes of the match, seventy minutes, it didn't feel like Palace had any sort of threat at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of Ederson almost being sent off, getting a straight red for a challenge on um, Mateta that probably should have been given as red. But, you know, let's not get into that. So I really feel like City have a huge issue on their hands. Right. Getting Kevin De Bruyne back is very important. But we continually see over and over that their defense is breachable and it can be breached in one attempt it's like one shot go one go it, you know it's crazy it happens too often for it to not be something substantial and something they should be worried about i do wonder if there's a part of pep that is considering moving to more you know removing an attacker and putting another holding midfielder in right provide that backline a little bit more protection and really keep those counters from attacking so aggressively and occupying that space where they're usually mm-hmm. content giving up really yeah. high XG opportunities on top of that as well, though, from an at- attacking perspective for city, I think it's going to become a lot more difficult for us to predict who's starting because Alvarez and Foden will probably no longer be locked in to be starting week in week out. That's been nice. It's been great. But with KDB coming back, that's going to have a huge influence. on Especially Alvarez, I'd say. On Alvarez. But at the same time, I think with Doku being back and then all that, we could see Grealish maybe playing some right wing, Doku playing some right wing. But the rotation's going to come. Pepperlet's going to be very strong at certain parts of the season with KDB back. I think KDB's going to be rested very significantly as well um, because ultimately you want him playing in UC- a UCL semifinal. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. what City's target is. I really think that as far as City go, they probably view this as we could win the Premier League or we could win another Champions League, which I think is their target. Right yeah. Now. I mean, so I kind of pulled up the table from this year and last year at this point. And so Arsenal right now are, let's see, five points ahead of Man City. Arsenal in first place at 39. City are in fourth place at 34. This time last year, Arsenal were in first place with 43 points. Mm-hmm. And Manchester City was in second point, second place at 36. So yeah. honestly, if you look at it, we're kind of almost in the same place as we were last year. Arsenal was just a little farther mm-hmm. ahead. So, I mean, it's a situation where, like, you know City are going to put it together eventually. Pep's too good of a coach. They have too much talent. They're going to put it together. There's no doubt about it. So Um, I think as FPL managers, we just have to keep our eye out for the... We know about Holland. We know if KDB KDB comes back, it can be a good option. But to see the other players that kind of rise up whenever 
Pep finds his true starting eleven that he really likes. I think by the end of the season, if he's locked in the starting eleven, I think Doku could be someone who's, you know, higher than fifty percent owned in the game. Yeah, um, with his ability to create and what that can do for the space he can create for Holland, for KDB, for Foden. For all these other attackers, it makes them better, but he's going to be on the end of a lot of assists and chances created, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I think it's going to be interesting to see if it's Foden or Alvarez that Pep ends up favoring because he's going to have to probably pick between one of those two to play with KDB. Yeah. And it, it's hard to say. I mean, I cannot even begin he's, he's to got a lot like of understand. He's got a lot of options. Yeah, he's he's a fascinating individual, that's for sure. Um I guess we'll pivot into our second point here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the point that we want to talk about here is Villa, right? Villa are a very hot team at the moment who are... So what? what is our point, though, Luke, to like... Well, what we're, what we're going to be talking about is, is Villa the second best team in the Premier League? Um, and I think that it's open for debate, right? It seems like there are... Pretty clearly, in my opinion, three, four teams really who are differentiating themselves right now, right? You've got City, you've got Villa, you've got Liverpool, you've got Arsenal. All four of those teams have shown that they are, they have the makings to be an elite team and to compete for the title. There are some others who are vying to try to, like Tottenham, if they were fully fit and healthy, I could easily group them into that. I think Newcastle, too. Newcastle as well, right? But they have so many injuries. There's, you know, a lot of variables at consideration there. So what we're going to debate, is Villa the second best team in the league? I would argue they're the best team in the league at home and then say they're a top six team when they're playing away, in my opinion. Yeah, um... I think they're I, I see your point about them playing at home. I don't think I really disagree with it. But to me, if you're the second best team in the league, it has to be both home and away. You know? That's like, why I'm saying they're like, not the second best yeah. team in the league. You don't so think they are actually second? I don't think they're the second best. Do I think do? City's one, Arsenal's two, um, and even I think third and fourth are interchangeable. And I think Spurs could beat any team in the league at, on any given day. Yeah, th- right. that's true. Um, with how attacking they are, it just depends on if they can withstand opponent's attack. But they could score four or five on anyone in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I agree. Except for maybe City. I think that matchup is really difficult for them. Mm-hmm. But back to Villa. Villa are incredible at home. Um, I really think that what Unai Emery has built there, their system and their way of facilitating the ball playing in a very progressive mindset has been great for them yeah. Um, and really allows them to dominate games and dominate other top competition as well. So at home, I can see them beating literally anyone as they've already demonstrated, but going away, you know, say it's a cold Tuesday night at the Etihad, I think they could still get thrashed, right? Um, Especially with that high line. If City and Guardiola develop a, you know, very, well-rounded game plan for them yeah which they easily can do so it's possible yeah i think we i, I kind of agree with you like uh, that whole segment um do we want to go to our third yeah sure yeah go ahead okay number three is the <laughs> is poor poor guy but darwin nunez is still too unreliable as an fpl asset 
And honestly, I'm just going to ISO here for Luke and let Luke talk a little bit because he brought him in, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? Too long ago, and he's been in my yeah. team for too long already. Luke's I been in the trenches with Darwin. I really don't want to swear on the podcast, but you can. You're allowed to. It's just so frustrating. Darwin is one of those players where you watch him play and he looks good, right? He just looks like he has all the attributes and then he can't put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah. It just, Mm -hmm. it does not click for him yet. And I'm not saying it never will, but you do have to think that there's this. The data, like let's let's think about the data, right? When he was at Benfica, he had he vastly underperformed his XG before his last season there, and then while he was at Benfica, his last season vastly overperformed his XG. And then the previous, well, the two last years with Liverpool, he's vastly underperformed his XG. Three out of four years, he's underperforming his XG. So. Does that tell us something? I feel like it does. And yet for FPL, we always come a knocking, always go to Darwin, and we just get let down. Well, I think the funny thing about it is this year, so he has 6.94 XG with four goals. And two of those four goals came in the Newcastle game when they were playing with 10 men where he subbed on and he scored two awesome goals where I think people were like, holy shit, Darwin's here, he's arrived. And we just see time and time again that He's just not reliable enough and at this the point. Like whenever I mean, I think like we always talk about in this podcast, the main thing we want in attacking FPL options is are they gonna reliably get us points over the year? And do they also at the same time have like a high upside ability? And obviously Darwin has the high upside ability because of performances like the Newcastle match, but he doesn't have the consistency. Well, I don't know the numbers on this, but I would love to see what his XG is minus those Newcastle chances. You said it was around 6.9 6. or 6.94 is what's in His XG is still probably, what, 6.5, 6.6. Yeah. If you take out those Newcastle chances with two goals, mm-hmm. that that is not good. That is not – if Liverpool had an out-and-out out number nine who scored 20 goals in a season or could score more, they would be first in the league right now. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah, there's no question, especially no with – how Salah is doing this year. And hmm, weird. What other striker out there could they go after that would bag them a lot of goals? There's a lot, actually. But I think oh. Ozenheim could be a really uh, good fit uh, for them. No, sir. We know where he's going. He's not going to Arsenal. I think Tony will go to Arsenal. I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, well, the most important thing here, right, is I feel like Ville are an excellent... Wait, no, we're, we're on. We're talking sorry. about Liverpool. I... Misplaced that in my head. So, Nunez, I've learned my lesson. I won't be going back unless he's able to, you know, net multiple goals in multiple games back-to-back. That's what my criteria would have to be, I think. Yeah, understood, understood. All right, Luke, do you want to introduce our fourth topic here? Yes. Um, So, whenever we're looking at team structure right now in FPL, one of the biggest things is that people are building their teams around very specific premiums. And it seems like the go go to premiums for a lot of people right now are Holland and Salah. Now, we do need to have somewhat of a note of saying that Holland's been out 
we're not guaranteed he's gonna be he's gonna be back for game week nineteen. He should be, from what we understand, unless it, they're vastly underselling the injury. But Salah is also leaving in game week twenty one to go to Afcon, um, which we'll touch on a little bit here going forward. We will, but it's really it's very cut and dry right now. If you don't have Salah and Holland in your team, at least before the last game week, you were in big trouble, right? And I think Paul and I found ourselves in that position where. It's kind of difficult to get Salah in. We missed that wild card opportunity that came around in what was that? Like, uh, I guess like seven eight, or eight, some eight or nine, was. I think um, seven eight or nine somewhere in that window. And that was huge for a lot of people. Multiple green arrows shot up the ranks. Um, and if you miss that, you're left holding the back, right? Um, There's also been other people that have countered the Salah stuff too, though. Yes, which San is one of those big ones. King as well. San. Um, if you captained him at the right week, then you're doing great. But the thing about San, he's not necessarily reliable for returns every week. He's going to return, and usually if he returns once, he's going to return twice or three times. But sometimes he can go without points for a couple the, weeks. So you are correct about that, about Luke. But like I'd say most of the weeks he hasn't returned, he either was off sides with a goal or he was right there with the chance that easily could have been a goal. So I, I think even the eye test was Son in those weeks where he didn't return for a little bit. I was never unhappy as a manager of owning Son. Just just yeah, to throw it no, out there for everybody. That, that that's a fair point. I, I completely I agree with that as well. But I think with Salah, you almost feel like he's guaranteed to have points at some point in the match. Whether it's jammy, whether he takes a pin. I love that word with Salah. Salah. It it feels very it rings very true to me, right? That for all you FIFA players out there, yeah, and you know, it, for everyone out there, right? Jamie is a, it's a good word to use to describe certain situations. Um, I felt like some of his were that, right? Um, where he kind of lucked in some returns, but then again, it's about being in the right place at the right time, and so always exactly. always depend. He seems a, to be in the he's right basically place. a vulture when it comes to FPL or just scoring goals. Like he just, I think he just circles and he knows. Like he his his timing is unbelievable. He yeah. knows when to show up in the right places, and he does. So you can say jammy, you can say lucky, you can say it's a skill in itself. It, it is what it is. But he gets FPL points, so that's that's a simple fact. Yeah, he's he the leader. Does. So. so it will be very interesting to see how people navigate Son and him being gone as well. So. I expect to see some, I mean, very budget teams because why why spend the funds elsewhere? Because there's really no one else that we want to invest mm-hmm. heavily into. Yeah. Um, KDB coming back will be an easy route for a lot of people to go. I'm not 100% sure that it's a good option at first. You know, we kind of want him to get back into full fitness, get up to match speed, and then go from there. But... I think that's an easy transition for a lot of people to make to KDB. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Um, so let's go to our fifth point. Okay. Yeah. So next, th- these are both two players that we'll we'll just kind of pivot from the last one. That two defensive cornerstones, I think, that should be in everybody's team, which is not absolutely clear cut. But there's also ulterior options. These people, but Trent Alexander Arnold and Trippier, both just seem like players that have such a high upside in FPL it's really hard to leave both of them out and if we look if we look forward I mean like we're kind of talking about with AFCON and then the Asia Cup going on that I mean the funds have to go somewhere 
So I think you're going to see people going really big at the back because, I mean, with forwards, I mean, we have Holland and then it's Watkins, basically, which those two probably are going to be in a lot of people's teams. But, I mean, at the back, like, in the midfield, you're not going to have much money because, I mean, there's so many options spread across the board that, I mean, you really don't have to have put that much value in your midfield. And you could just put those funds in the defense and have these players that are basically nailed on to get attacking returns and possibly clean sheets because they're on some of the best teams in the league. And it, to me, it just seems like, honestly, it kind of seems like a no-brainer if you just want points coming in throughout the whole year, you know? Yeah, it seems like with these two, you're getting a steady diet of points. Trent and Trippier are different in my opinion, though, right? I think that Trippier is still a feasible price where you can you can still do other things in your team. With Trent, if you want to have two premiums as well, so say Salah and Holland. Well, so that right, that, right. But I'm so the point being, if you have Salah and Holland, it's very difficult to have Trent. Trent could be an enabler for you to put him in as a bookmark for for twenty one. Start at that place, and then when Salah gets back, you could use Trent to help provide a lot of the funds to get back to Salah. Um, so there's a lot of enabler conversation there to be had. But I do think that Trippier is still a bit clear of Trent. I think that Newcastle are better defensively. Um, if we look at the underlying stats um, for the past, for the whole season, Newcastle United are actually, so if we look at the underlying stats, Newcastle United and Liverpool, their XG conceded is almost parallel, right? The numbers yeah. are very similar. So it's really up to personal preference um, what you think is best. But I think with Trippier being a bit cheaper, that makes him a bit more realistic unless you're using Trent as a placeholder to get Slaw or Holland or maybe even Son back in your team whenever AFCON is done. Yeah, and I mean, all of it de really depends on, I mean, like last year, I think that Newcastle and Liverpool were kind of like flipped, flipped places a little bit, mm -hmm. where I think Liverpool was kind of decimated by injuries last year. And we see this year Newcastle is, but I mean, they're still managing, I think, to like stay afloat basically in the Premier League. Like they're not where they want to be, but they're still, they're not, I mean, they're literally fifth and sixth in the table right now. So... And I mean, they're like five points back from fourth against Man City. So I would I mean, also expect Newcastle to have improved Premier League form because they're out of Europe, right? Yeah, the demands and on the, the squad January window too coming up. Demands we'll probably are a get lot less heavy on the squad. They'll be getting players back, um, and really being out of Europe kind of Europe kind of comes at a bad time for them, frankly, because they will be getting players back. The window's open. If they could have stayed in the Champions League, man, they really could have made a push, I think, if they yeah. were still in the UCL. But nevertheless, not going to happen this season. They'll be back very soon. I think we're all sure of that. Mm -hmm. There's um, no question about that. So that it's really interesting, right? Defenders are a really hot topic matter right now. Um, and that kind of pivots us into our, s our next topic mm -hmm. um, of Pedro Porro. He has become a very FPL content creator popular pick right dude um, he's great i i fucking love him and let's like, be Poro's honest great anyone with eyeballs would have realized that from game week two or three um being that a lot of people are hopping on the bandwagon right now you know it's great it's awesome but 
I feel like it's late in coming, in my opinion, right? Like yeah, if you it should watch have been, Spurs yeah. play and realize what he's doing for them, how important he is to their attack when he inverts in, playing balls in the box. Now he's on set pieces for them. His value to Spurs is huge, and he he's an incredible player, right? Um, even going back to, I think it was game week five or six, I captained him whenever they played, uh, I think it was Luton. But, I mean, I... Let's see what week that was. I mean, yeah, so it was game week eight, right? They played Luton. I captained him. He almost scored two goals. Ended up with an assist and a clean sheet, so I was fine with it. No, he just got a clean sheet. But really, he's been a great player for the entirety of the season, not just the last four or five game weeks. I mean, dude, if you just look at his stats this year, I mean, like, he has so many, like, in this last game against Forrest, his XG was point three nine, and his expect expected goals was point three nine. Expected assist was point three four. And, I mean, he got a clean sheet, but there's been so many matches where he's got assist results or, like, even there was – I don't think he scored a goal yet. He hasn't scored a goal yet, but he has a lot of weeks where he's getting four-pointers or five-pointers because Newcastle – I mean, because their defense – I mean, Spurs' defense has been so eviscerated that they can't keep a clean sheet. They just give goals at the end of matches and all these things because they're just worn out. But, I mean, whenever they get healthy and they get everybody back – it's going to be scary for people because he's going to still be doing the things he's doing going forward. And they're just going to be a fortress at the back. I completely agree. Right. But it's also how they play too. So with the high line, maybe they're just going to do that all year. I don't know. No, they're for sure going to continue the high. That's just how. And yeah, yeah, yeah. but But I'm saying that like my point counterpoint to Poro being really popular right now is one of the, you know, big reasons why he's popular now is because he's on set pieces. As soon as Madison comes back, Madison will, I'm sure, you know, take back those duties. Yeah. So that's something to keep an eye on when Madison comes back. Poro's value will drop a little bit, but he's still going to be a great hold for the rest of the season. Yeah. In my opinion. Um, I agree. Cause Spurs will continue to get better. They're not in European competition. Um, they just, you know, need to keep their players from getting red cards. That's, that should be their main goal right now. God, it's crazy. They, they, they just can't stay away from it. You know? Yeah, it kind of plays in the mindset, I guess, a little bit. But yeah, um, do you want to take a little break real quick, Luke? And then yeah, we'll, we'll take a little break. Um, and our final then points. We'll return with you all for our last three points. Okay. All right, this next segment is not going to surprise any of our listeners out there because we're going to be talking about Arsenal. Wow! Shocking, shocking. Everyone with, proceeds with Paul to on the faint. podcast, but we're not going to do too much in-depth discussion about Arsenal. I just want to talk about their defense real quick. And in my opinion, I think they're the most solid defensive team in the league. And yes, I think sometimes they tend to give up stupid bullshit goals and it's difficult for them to keep clean sheets. But I think going forward, the healthier Arsenal get, they're just going to be better, especially with Rice in the midfield. I mean, dude, he covers so many things for them. And the way that he can like kind of break pressure and the way they just are like, if you look at them, they're adapting to a team that's kind of like City where they just put a stranglehold on games. And I think, I just think it's it's only going to get better as the year goes on, as they stay healthy, you know? Yeah, from uh, from a defensive perspective, right? I think you have to look cohesively at a team mm-hmm. to be able to have a good idea if they're going to be able to defend, keep clean sheets, all this, right? Arsenal are a team that like to keep possession, Mm-hmm. But the way they possess, a lot of it is 1v1 heavy. 
in possession with incredible drib- players with dribbling skills, right? So you have Martinelli isolated with his feet to the chalk. Saka, right? Saka. Odegaard's great at the ball, his feet. Rice is really great at carrying the ball forward. Um, Havertz, someone who was not talked He's about growing, at the man. beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. He's really good with the ball, his feet as well, and making those runs off the back of defenders. Um, stretch the back line, put a lot of pressure, and really make teams put in energy and effort defending so that whenever they go to attack, they don't have the reserves. They don't have, you know, if they're attacking in the 83rd minute, they are going to be exhausted and less likely to convert those opportunities. Yeah. Um, with that being said, Arsenal's defense has been breached a couple times over the past four to five game weeks. Yes. It's happened. This is true. Luton, for example, they conceded three goals to Luton. Very low XG opportunities, that needs to be said. But they are going to con- still concede goals. Are they the most likely to not? I would say arguably they're up there. Okay, look, so if we're considering Arsenal defensive assets, which ones would you think, who you think are the, the first option, the second option? Uh, it would be Saliba and then... Gabriel, because I don't know about Ben White, Tommy Asu, that's a question mark. Sincheco, not sure if he's going to be hurt from week to week. Um, if Timber was playing, I feel like he'd be a really good option. And then Raya. Yeah. Raya is probably, actually, in my opinion, it would be Saliba and Raya would be the best picks. Okay. I think those I think those are very viable picks. And um, I think that's all we need to touch on for that, yeah. honestly. I um, think it's pretty the straightforward. The next topic that we want to talk about is how to manage your teams going into AFCON and then also the um, Asia Cup too. Asia Cup as well. So the question here, right? So the two main players that most team players are going to, most FPL managers are going to be worried about is Mohamed Salah and Hugh Son, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these are two yes. very impactful players to top three performers in FPL so far in total points. It'll be very interesting how people manage this. And in my opinion, the best way to manage your team is to enforce a kind of theoretical um, dollar cap on what you can spend so that you have the reserves to get them right back into your team whenever they're knocked Mm -hmm. out of their respective cups. I see what you're saying. Um, So say I took Son out. And then brought in Cole Palmer. I would keep that set amount of cash or even more than that so that I could necessarily go straight back to Son if I wanted to. Um, and then from yeah. that point on, say it, I think it would be what, like six million pounds? Let's say that's yes. the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. You keep six million pounds at a minimum in your bank for the rest of that time until you bring Son back in. Yeah, that makes complete um, sense. That's my best way to approach it there's obviously different methodologies you could go about but if you don't want to take a points hit i think that's the best way to do it yeah i think that's a great point especially i mean for people like me and you that have a wild card still left this half of the year and taking that and applying that into how we're going to shape our teams going into week 20 and after it's going to be a lot to balance like do you want to take a risk on one player for like two weeks and then have them go? Or do you just go straight into building a team without those players? So I think there's a lot of questions to balance. And I think Luke brought up a great point there about leaving the funds in your team to kind of get really give you giving yourself flexibility to 
bringing one of those players. Like if KDB's back healthy, then you could have him for a little while, try it out, and then function back to Salah or Son, whichever, however you want to move around. But it's just something to be aware of. We also, um, whenever it gets closer to the time, we can put stuff on our socials about the players that will be targeted by this because there's also more players than the two we talked about that are on different teams throughout um, the Premier League. So we'll we'll have that out on our socials so everybody kind of knows what to see, what to look for. But, um, yeah, it's just another little hurdle we have to get over as FPL managers, and it makes the game more fun, right? Because there's does. more variability and, and more differences. Honestly, hundreds of choices that we make. We can, not week in, week out, but throughout the course of an FPL season. Um, and some we get right, some we get wrong. But the important thing is we keep learning, and really we just try to keep getting better. So, you know, mm-hmm. we're all on a journey together for that at this point. Um, and that kind of segues nicely into our next point, really, is that over the course of a season, it's easy to go for differentials and try to play with, you know, players who could have a high ceiling, but maybe have a low floor as well. It's really important when we're building our teams to be building them with long-term viability for every player we have in that team. Um, If you want to take a differential punt on one player in your team, sure, that's great. But it's really great if you have a team of reliable week-in, week-out performers that are going to get your team points. Um, and it's something to keep in mind when you are constructing your team because you really want those players who are going to week in, week out return and that you can rely on without having to transfer them out if they have a tough run of fixtures. Yeah, I mean, that, that's it kind of goes back to like our typical discussions about Salah, Bowen, Saka, like these players that just consistently return. If you set them and leave them in your team, it's okay if over like, Four game weeks, if they go five points, six points, seven points, eight points, it's better than somebody that does 14 0 0 0, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it just depends on how you want to play the game, of course. But I think consistency over 38 weeks is more important than having two really good weeks out of 38, you know? Yeah, no, that's very so true. So it's, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint, is the moral of that whole story right there, you know? It is. It is, right? And, you know, we're going into game week 18 right now. You know, there's still. 20 more game weeks left <laughs> as much right, as it feels like crazy. it's been um it feels it's like been a lot longer than that but it does it does so it's something to keep in mind and at the same time we also need to be very mindful of strategically making our choices for the transfers that we're bringing in um yes whether that be that is fixture someone's in form you think the team's about to hit form there's a new player brought in in the january window for whatever reason it is we just really want to advocate for all of the managers out there to look for a, with a long-term perspective for the players you're bringing in. Yeah, totally agree. Which is, we're going to segue to our very last point in this podcast, and that is about Dominique Solanke that we both, I think, agree at this point, and I kind of just come around towards it, but he is the best low-budget striker at the moment in the game. I think so, right? You and had Raul Jimenez was making a push for it. But, but then, then he, he also made a, <laughs> a red. karate chop type kung fu move as well. Yeah. Um, that got him sent off. So uh, he is no longer viable for the next three game weeks. Yeah. Um, along with Basuma, who's not going to be viable for the next four, which is wonderful for Spurs with their injury riddle pass. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a rough one right there. As an Arsenal fan, you might not be too upset by that, Paul. Yeah. But no, it's, it's okay. I think overall. Dominique Solanke is a very, very fun player to watch, 
He's a great goal scorer. And he's propelling Bournemouth forward, right? I mean, dude, honestly, he's kind of the anti-Darwin. If you look at it, I mean, he scored nine goals on Mm -hmm. 8.48 XG. He's very skilled. And he, I was going to say he's not flashy, but he does have a certain flair to his game. Right, yeah. he's very creative. Little back hill action sometimes. Back hill, use some flicks, some tricks, all of those. Nice, right? nice rhyming there. Like. Um, yeah, I, I am C in my free time. <laughs> I would pay. I would pay so much fucking money to see that. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, but Dominic Solanke, incredible player at Bournemouth, might be making a move in January. There are a couple of rumors swirling around. Arsenal also has um, been linked there. So. so something to keep an eye on. But at this point in time, he's a great player to have in your team. He's a nice enabler. And with Salah and Son still being viable for a couple of weeks, it's you know it's important to have those enablers. And Solanke is the best of the best in the striker position. He is. Uh, we totally agree, Luke. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on? I think we kind of went to a lot of different places, but spread out some of our wisdom to the people so um i just want to share with our listeners that i'm feeling better about fpl i'm he, doing he good. has been better i will say um the the roller coaster is not as rollery <laughs> right now oh my god you're canceled <laughs> for that statement that's bad but the point being right i feel like the clouds are parting a little bit and as i said on the last podcast the rise will be meteoric. And I the mean, clouds let's, are clearing. Let's, the clou- let's not the clou- be unrealistic the here. Clouds Luke. are clearing. SpaceX is about to launch from Cape Canaveral. Everything's good. All signs are go. We're b- I'm about to take off. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. You hear that from everybody? That's from yeah, an optimistic Luke. He is optimistic. I'm so feeling hopefully, good. feeling good about it. I will. Honestly, I'm gonna talk to some people and we're going to try to keep Luke level here. We, we don't want him to be a, expecting him to be at a 10 because I mean it's easy to do with FPL in general I think for everybody to have high expectations and all this stuff but at the end of the day if you make the right choices and the results don't pay off it's fine. It's part of the game. It's almost I mean listen this is a sport where 11 men play 11 men or women in each whatever and they play for 90 minutes it's impossible to predict exactly what's going to happen. There's so, many di- there's so many different variables. Very there's difficult. so many different things that happen. But at, at the end of the day, we do the best we can, and nothing is expected. You know? It yes, is what it is. For sure. Um, well, everyone, we, we are wishing you all a very happy and festive holiday season. If you are um, participating in those holidays, if not, enjoy the time of um, away from work if you're able to get that and we really really just want to wish you all you know a great rest couple of days for the rest of the year and thank you all for taking this journey with us it's been great we've really enjoyed growing the podcast over this past year and we look forward to continuing to do so for many years yeah no absolutely thank you for everything everybody and we will talk to you soon okay happy holidays <laughs> <laughs>